CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Monday's edition of To Every Man and Answer as we start out this brand new week, this week of Thanksgiving. And again, uh, you know, the world recognizes uh, being Thanksgiving, uh, how important it is, even for non-believers. They, they, they set this day aside to thank God for all the blessings. And, you know, it shouldn't be something that we as Christians do only one time a year, but it's something we need to do every single day. Uh, and so understanding that, how important it is, there's an old saying, if you're not thankful for what you have, you won't be thankful for what you get. So it's important that we understand that. Joining me today, special guest, Scott Parker, heard on the week time, weekends here. Hi, welcome, Scott. Hi, Mike. It is great to be with you today. How are things in Festus, Missouri? Things are good here. Well, you know, we had some warm weather today, which was, uh, uh, unexpected. We thought it was going to be a little cooler, but it was really nice today. And uh, this weekend at church, we had a wonderful weekend. We had our missionary from Kenya in giving us a report of what's going on uh, with the ministry over there. We, we helped a young man and his wife. Um, it's been uh, 12 years ago now, uh, a young man from our area to start a Calvary Chapel in Northwest Kenya. Uh, his church is exploding. It's it's doing fantastic. They've got incredible facilities uh, for being in Kenya. But uh, Mike, what happened was uh, a couple months ago, uh, he had the uh, the pleasure of actually meeting with Franklin Graham. Wow. And Franklin Franklin Graham gave his ministry uh, eight acres of land, fifteen minutes from his church, so that he could build children's homes to help hungry and um, abandoned children that wow. are right around his church. And uh, so anyway, Franklin told him, I'm going to give you eight acres. And if you can develop that, then I'm going to give you the rest of the land, which is a total of 42 acres, about $3 million worth of land. And uh, so he was sharing with us just what the, just how the Lord's been working in incredible ways uh, there in Northwest Kenya to bring people to the Lord. And so it was great having him. And, uh, so we, we just had a wonderful, wonderful weekend, uh, just, you know, seeing the fruit of what our church has been supporting and has yeah. been, been a part of, uh, for 12 years now. So we had a great weekend though. Wonderful. Just a wonderful blessing. Good to hear and, mm-hmm. uh, keep that in our prayers. 8888, ask CSN is the number to call if you want to be part of the program today. And again, we set this time aside each and every weekday afternoon, uh, live. For you to call in, maybe you've shared your faith, maybe you come across something in the Bible you don't understand, somebody's asked you a question, we want to be sure you have a good answer to, as this program says, to every man an answer, you'll be able to do that. So if you've got a question you'd like to ask us, got some lines open, 8888-ASK-CSN, it's toll free, love to talk to you today. Let's go ahead and go to the phones. We have Roger on the line in uh, Minnesota. Yes, hi. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I've been a member of a church where they're uh, majoring on Calvinism. I mean, sometimes it's uh, Sunday school Calvinism 
uh, main worship service, Calvinism, and and just every aspect of it. Anyway, I went to a um, men's breakfast this past Saturday, and I was just giving a testimony, talking about how God allowed something in my life. And one of the elders said, well, he didn't allow it, he caused it. And uh, I was thinking, well, what about Job? I mean, he didn't cause that in Job's life, and I just wanted to get your aspect on it. And I'm thinking about, uh, I've been looking at another church. Actually, actually, it's a Calvary Chapel, and we have one up here in uh, Coleraine, about eight miles from where I live. And uh, um, I've gone to a couple services now, and I really like it, like the pastor and the people and everything. And uh, when I talk to him, I says, I'm not a... Uh, Calvinist or you know or I'm Ar- Armenian I'm, I'm Bible and so I was just wondering should I go back and talk to the deacons or the elders and the pastor before I leave or, or what do you think I would I would and I would explain to them that that um, you're a follower of Christ not a, a follower of John Calvin uh, I would explain to him that the very terminology Calvinist implies that it's not Christianity. Otherwise, it would be Christianity, but it's not. It's something else. And this idea that God deliberately put people on earth to send them to hell, and you can't be saved no matter what you do unless you are pre-chosen, that is all a lie. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. In that verse, John 3.16, Jesus, God, chose the entire earth. The question is, will we choose him? Just because God knows who ultimately accepts him and who rejects him, thus the foreknowledge of Christ, thus the term predestination, does not keep any person from living their life the way they choose. And again, this is one of the great problems. When they come to the Great Commission, go preach the gospel to every creature, why doesn't say just the predestinated ones? Or John 3.16 has to be completely removed from the Bible when it says, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I think it's interesting when we understand the entirety of God's Word, not just a few selected verses, that these ism-schisms go away. And whether you're teaching Mormonism, Calvinism, or any other ism out there, we have to be very, very careful because it's not Christianity. Otherwise, it would not bear that name. It'd be bearing true Christianity. Your thoughts? Mike, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think, you know, when it comes to choosing where we're going to go to church, I think uh, we should have good biblical reasons uh, for choosing a church. Um, I'm always interested, and I'm sure you are too, Mike, uh, sometimes that people who visit your church or or come to check you out, um, sometimes I'm amazed at the reasons why people are looking uh, for a church and what they're actually looking for. And uh, I would just agree with Mike and just say, you know, um, that uh, as far as your biblical convictions, as you read the Bible, here's here's the the way you understand uh, that whole that whole subject. And, um, you know, we we always we always have got to put the word of God above the word and teaching of men. If uh, if what men are are proposing and what they are promoting um, conflicts with the Bible at all. It's, it's not, it's not God who's wrong. It's not the Bible who's wrong. You know, it's, it's the man, uh, who doesn't understand things. Um, and Mike, you know, I, I would rather just say, 
if there's something I truly can't figure out and understand, I would rather just say that and be honest than to try to take the scriptures and wrangle them in such a way where I try, you know, where I'm trying to make sense of them. Um, you know, there, there are some things in scripture that, that are, that are difficult for us with, with our finite minds to reconcile and understand. I mean, you know, how, how do we completely reconcile free will and the sovereignty of God? Because the Bible teaches both. Um, you know, that this is why the church has been, uh, having this debate, you know, since the Bible's been written and was recorded for us <laughs> because these are deep theological things. They're spiritual things that, that, uh, you know, we just, we have to take the Bible for what it says instead of trying to lean one way or the other. And, you know, it's okay. There's, there's a great verse in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, Hey, the things that are revealed are for you and your children and the things are not revealed. Those things belong to the Lord. And, um, you know, as a pastor, sometimes I don't mind, uh, looking at different verses and, and looking at different passages and saying, well, here's, here's the way I see them coming together. But, you know, do, am I the final authority on this is exactly what this means? You know, um, and so just as, just as we need to be humble enough to say, you know, there are some things in scripture that, you know, they are a little hard to understand. Um, we got to be careful with those who say, no, I've got it figured out, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and then they come up with some kind of belief that just goes against, it goes against the nature of God. And, and, you know, really that's my, that's one of my big problems with Calvinism is just the whole fact that, that God, who is a God of love would just predetermine before he ever created anybody, this person's going to hell. And that's just all there is to it. Um, you know, the double predestination thing and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I think we really have to, when we come down to looking at what we believe about the Bible, we really, um, have to match it up with the nature of God, what, what the Bible reveals God is like, uh, because that's going to have a bearing, I think, on the way we read scripture. So, um, anyhow, I hope that helps a little bit, Mike. Yeah. Revelation 22 17 says, and the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears Come, and let him who thirsts come, and whosoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. It doesn't say the predestinated ones there. I I get so worn out listening to people teach church dogma, or the ideas of a man named Calvin, or for that matter, anybody else that deviates from God's word. When the Bible uses the word predestination, or to those to him foreknew. That is talking about God, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and last, living in all times present. God ultimately knows who will choose him and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. So from God's perspective, yes, he knows who makes it. But we don't. And the Bible says, preach the gospel to every creature. You know, when a man comes along and says, oh, no, no, you, you weren't picked. Um, you know, all I can say is that's a different God than the God I serve. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting when the Bible here says, and the spirit and the bride say, come, that's an open invitation to anyone. Something else you better read, I would tell these people, is verse 18. Um, if you take anything out of this book or add to it, there is a tremendous penalty. And so for someone to say, the spirit and the bride say, come, 
but God was just shucking and jiving right there because you can't come unless God's already uh, selected you. That's not what the Bible teaches, friends. That is pure, hardcore heresy. For God so loved the world. He, pre- he, he selected everybody to come to be with him in heaven. It doesn't say, for God so loved the predestinated ones. I tell people, stop adding to God's word. But see, they don't teach God's word. They're teaching Calvinism. They're teaching Mormonism. They're teaching all these isms, schisms that are out there. And that's the great unfortunate thing that we find today. For the Bible says in the last days, they won't adhere to sound doctrine. Why is that? It makes a real good excuse not to be an evangelist. Well, if you're really predestined to go to heaven, eh, you'll figure it out. In fact, our church doesn't even give altar calls because if you're really supposed to go to heaven, well, you know, somehow you're going to figure it out. That isn't what the Bible teaches at all. And again, when people teach church dogma rather than God's Word in balance, I, I really could not continue, Roger, to support a church like that or go to it. But I would explain to them the selective reading of God's Word, not the entirety of God's Word. The selective reading of God's Word brings people into the cults and into false doctrine. So again, again, just read that to them. Revelation 22, verse 17. And then verse 18 says, if you take away from this, so in other words, they're saying, whoever, whosoever will may come. They're saying, no, no, that, that, that's not that. Calvin taught us something else. Well, read what happens to them when they take these words out of God's word. So important. Roger, stay in line. We'll send you out some books and DVDs. I hope that helps. I, I got one more part of that, though. Um, as far as allowing as opposed to causing, God allows things to come into our lives to, um, you know, to work out for good because he loves us, but he doesn't cause them. I was thinking about like uh, Peter when Jesus told him that Satan wants to uh, 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 sieve you like wheat, you know, but I've been praying for you. And uh, Well, the, the the rain falls on the just and the unjust just the same. You're a Christian cement layer. <clears throat> Here comes a storm. You just got done putting the, the final touches on the concrete slab as it's starting to set up. And the rain comes and messes it all up. Oh, God, why did you do this? But only about a quarter mile over, there's a Christian farmer who's just been praying for rain because his crops are failing. Well, God just loves some Christians and doesn't love other ones. No, we live in a fallen world. And we have to understand that in this fallen world, God gives us the strength to look at it from his perspective and saying, okay, God, not my will, yours be done. But I have to understand there are things that do happen. Now, yes, did the devil intend those things to stop me or to stop us in doing what we do for God? Very much so. But God can take those things that were meant for our harm and make them for our good. Remember, God is bigger than the things that have been done to you wrong and bigger than the things that you have done wrong. Otherwise, he wouldn't be much of a big God, would he? Well, he only can work with those that get it all right. (laughs) No, don't find that in the Bible. So again, I would just go and lovingly just say, I I just can't embrace that. I, I, 
I, I, I love to evangelize people. I love to share the gospel with people, but with a kooky idea. Well, you know, the verse, it isn't that you chose me, I chose you. Jesus was speaking to his disciples. And Jesus, though he had a lot of people follow him, he didn't choose all to be his disciples. When he looked at Matthew Levi, receipt of customs there going into the city of Jerusalem, he said, follow me. Matthew Levi dropped everything and followed after him. But the man of Gadara, he said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, no, you stay here and tell them the great things that God has done for you. Another place, interesting, he offered the rich young ruler. He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler, had it all. So what you have, give the money to the poor, come and follow me. He offered him to be an apostle. And the Bible says he went away very sad because he was very wealthy. Unfortunately, we find this. Um, so uh, like I tell people, be about your father's business. We cannot fault God because he lives in all times present. But just because God lives in all times present doesn't stop any person today from making the choices that they make and being rewarded according to the consequences of that. Some to everlasting life, some to everlasting punishment, but that's something that that individual will make. And just because God knows the choices we make, I can't fault God for that. Hope that helps. Stay on the line, Roger. I'll send you out some books, some DVDs, okay? Thank you. Thank you very much. God bless you. Let's go to John in St. Louis. Hi, welcome. Yes. Uh, this question is kind of for Pastor Scott. Pastor Scott, I recently, I've had a lot of people, it seems, that, and they're Christians. I'm convinced they're Christians. But then they go and do something, whether it be uh, hit their wives or uh, they do some sort of a blatant sin, and they think it's okay. And can conviction be taught? Should they be confronted? I'm just kind of at a loss for words because I'm like, hold it. Did you just profess Christ and tell me all the good you've done? And then now you're doing this. It doesn't match up. But I truthfully believe the question. It's just that it doesn't match up with what they're supposed to be doing. What should I do? Well, honestly, whose life does? You know, if you really want to look at it, whether it's the way we treat our 1040 income tax, the things we say in the car when somebody cuts us off, the thought patterns that we all may have, when we're on the Internet and no one's looking, uh, none are righteous, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none, no, not one, the Bible says. There's only one righteous. And you look at Peter, who cussed and swore that he did not know who Jesus Christ was. And when Jesus caught up with him on the Sea of Galilee, he said, you low-down scumbag, your words don't line up with who you say you are. I never want to see you again. No, he didn't do that. What he said, he said, Peter, do you love me? And I really believe to err is human, to forgive is divine. I also believe that when somebody is no threat to the kingdom of darkness, I don't think they have much in the way of trials and problems because they're not, they're not doing anything. The Bible says the, the stall is dirty where the oxen have been. 
And if you're going to do anything for God, get ready for the warfare, John, because I believe we're in it for, we're in, we're going to be swinging. Scott, your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, John, here's the thing too, is there is a difference between committing sin and continuing in sin. When you read the New Testament, Paul and, and both John, the apostle, make a very distinct, uh, make a distinction between those two things. As Christians, as Pastor Mike said, because we're human, uh, we're going to sin. We're going to sin occasionally because, you know, we're human, we're weak. Uh, we give into temptation uh, from time to time. But the Bible also speaks about those that continue in sin. And you can read scriptures such as uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, right after in, in chapter five, where Paul says, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And we would all as Christians say, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise God for that. It, it's, we cannot out sin the grace of God. Praise God. So then in the very next verse, which is the next chapter, Paul says, now what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If God's going to forgive us every time we sin, then we might as well just sin it up you know, and give God an opportunity to, to show his grace. And Paul says, may it never be. He says, certainly not. Uh, because what Paul's talking about there is he's saying, because God's shown us great grace, that doesn't give us a license to continue in sin the way we did before, before we knew Christ. So as Christians, we should be living a different life. Now, I'll say this, as Christians, we are not sinless and we will never be. But I will say, that through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our life, as we cooperate with him, and the longer we walk with the Lord and, and, and we're following, uh, being led by the Holy Spirit, being obedient to his word, we should sin less, but we'll never be sinless. Um, and, and I think it's important to understand that when it came, when it comes to this issue of continuing in sin, all Christians commit sin. They all sin, all of us sin occasionally. But when it comes to continuing in sin, Paul deals with that in Galatians chapter 5, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, passages like that where he actually says that those who who practice, that, and the word practice there literally means to habitually live in such a way that these sins define your character. And, and we all understand that because, you know, for instance, um, you know, when, when you know someone who like is bound to alcohol and they just drink incessantly and they get drunk constantly, you know, when you hear their name, the, the next thing that you think of when you hear their name is, oh yeah, I know him. He's a drunk. You know what I'm saying? That's continuing in sin. And that's what Paul says that if we say that we're a believer and we continue in sin, if sinful behaviors and works of the flesh define and and uh, describe the character of our lives, now we've got a problem because Paul says in both those instances that we should not be deceived because if we practice sin, continue in sin, then he goes on to say that we will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, John, listen, I agree with you. There, there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who go to church um, but it doesn't seem, you know, that a lot of times that there's repentance has, has continued or, or been complete. Uh, they're still, you know, dabbling in their sin and, and still, uh, continuing in it. And, 
And uh, that's a real problem because, again, Paul says that those kind of people are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And I think we need to pay attention to those kind of of, of warning scriptures like that. Um, in First John, John said this. John said that he who is born of the Spirit or he who is born again or born of God does not sin. Now, there's a scripture for you. <laughs> yeah. There's there's one that's like, what? Then Then if that's the truth, then you know what? None of us are saved. Well, what he means is in the Greek language there, when he says, he who is born of God does not sin, it literally, it, it, the construction of the Greek means he does not continue to sin. In other words, he does sin occasionally, but he doesn't continue in sin the way he did before he came to Christ. And so it's a real important thing as we read the New Testament to make those two distinctions. As Christians, yes, we do sin occasionally. We do commit sin, but Continuing in sin is a whole different ballgame, and that's a that's a whole different attitude toward God and toward the Bible and, and toward our Lord. So, yeah, and that, 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 and that applies to to anyone, whether here or overseas or anywhere else, mm-hmm. um, or whether you're looking at Jesus's own disciples. So, hope that hope that answers it for you. And we might have lost you there, but I hope that answers it for you. That's what the Bible says. Uh, we find a guy that was um, messing around with his stepmother in First mm-hmm. Corinthians. Paul writes and says, hey, you know, put this guy out of the church until he repents. And we find in Second Corinthians that he repented and he was brought back into the church again. That doesn't mean that he is barred from ever serving God or anything like that. Because again, if you if you are able to go in and see the thoughts, hearts, and intents of men, you would be pretty amazed on how much we've all been forgiven for. Sorry we lost you there. We're going to send you out some books, DVDs. Call us back. We'll do our very best to uh, to uh, get you fixed up there. Let's go to Michelle, Massachusetts. Hi, welcome. Hi, hello. My question is Revelation 1, Chapter 11, where John is told to write um, on a scroll and send them send it to the seven churches. And my question, did he have visitors that gave him implements to write and scrolls to write on and visitors? And who would have taken them to the seven churches? Or did they just go spiritually? Michelle, great question. Your thoughts? Yeah, Michelle, I think you're exactly right. You know, uh, it was the Romans who banished uh, John to the Isle of Patmos. And the Isle of Patmos was actually a small island in the Aegean Sea. And what it was, it was actually a quarry. It was used as a quarry by uh, by the Romans. And so there were other people, you know, there on Patmos. It was used to send prisoners there. And I hear the music. So, Mike, we'll have to pick this up on the other side of the break. Yeah, yeah. It was... Um... Everybody thinks he was on an island with palm trees and, you know, no, it was a, it was basically an Alcatraz, if you will. It was not a good place to go. We'll talk more about this on the other side of the break. We'll be right back right after this. This 
is CSN International. Can you imagine getting your college degree and graduating debt-free? Sound crazy? Here's great news. Calvary Chapel University is offering a 25% tuition scholarship on your entire degree program. And with this unique scholarship, you have a realistic way to graduate debt-free. Calvary Chapel University is one of the most affordable Christian universities in the United States, and it's fully accredited and 100% online so you can study whenever and wherever you want. Calvary Chapel University offers bachelor's degrees and master's in biblical studies with an emphasis in biblical counseling, Christian education, and more. And with solid teachers like Skip Heitzig and David Guzik involved, you can be sure you're getting sound doctrine. This scholarship offer is available for a limited time. Find out more at calvarychapeluniversity.edu. That's calvarychapeluniversity.edu. Apply today. I believe that where God guides, God provides. I've always believed that. Yes, it takes money to keep CSN on the air, though not a Bible verse, but it does say he will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Now, I thank God for every single person that contributes to CSN, whether they be a tower keeper, whether they support the programming that we have on CSN. Without all of you doing that, we can't exist. I talk to people every week who have been changed by listening to the radio. We're all in this together. If you feel CSN has been a blessing to you, would you consider becoming a financial partner with our ministry? You can make a tax-deductible year-end donation by calling 1-800-357-4226 or you can go online to csnradio.com and click on the Donate button at the top of the page. We'd like to thank you for listening and supporting CSN, where God's Word is heard. And we want to welcome you back to part two of To Every Man and Answer with Scott Parker. I'm your host, Mike Kessler, and we're going to go right back to the phones. We had Michelle on the line asking, when John got the revelation, the book of Revelation of who Jesus Christ is, what was going to happen in the last days, first of all, how did he write it down? Did he have scrolls and tablets and paper and stuff? And second of all, how did he get that message out to the other churches being he was on an island? Um, really in prison. Your thoughts? Yeah. Well, as I was saying before the break, so you know the uh, uh, Patmos was was an was an island that was used by the Romans that they would send uh, prisoners to, but it was also a rock quarry um, where they would you know uh, quarry rocks from. Um, and there were people there on the island. So John, it wasn't like John was the only one there. Um, now we do know from early church history, uh, we know that, you know, John had, had disciples that he raised up. He had a man by the name of Polycarp, uh, was one of his disciples that he raised up. And, uh, he's, he's very famous for being a martyr and for, uh, you know, standing up for Jesus and, and, uh, and, uh, paying for it with his life. And so it's interesting because even though John would have been, you know, banished to the island and he would have been considered a, a, a prisoner of Rome, you know, a religious and political prisoner, uh, the Romans still allowed um, these type of people to receive visitors. 
uh, to receive food. It, it, many times when they were when they were in prison, the only food they did get was what friends or relatives brought to them. Uh, when you think about Paul, when Paul was in prison uh, before his death in Second Timothy, um, he told Timothy, he said, "Hey, when you come, he goes, I want you to come to me quickly." And he says, when you do, I want you to bring the cloak that I had left. I want you to bring my coat because it's cold in here. And he said, and the books. And he says, and especially the parchments. And uh, parchments would uh, be uh, what the uh, um, what the apostles uh, would have written on. Uh, the parchment describes, you know, the, the kind of, today we call it paper. It's the writing surface that they would write on. So he was wanting, uh, he was wanting books that had already been written and, uh, was wanting some, uh, parchments in order to write some more. And so, um, we see that with, with Paul. And so we have to believe that it was the same case with John, uh, as well. So John did have, John, John, you have to remember this. John was, um, a very loved apostle, um, until his dying days. I mean, he, he was part of the church of Ephesus there, which is not really, it's very close, uh, to, um, Patmos. And so what's interesting is, is John became the, I mean, literally the elder in the sense of, of he was by this time, he was very, very old, but he was also the main pastor of that church. And so he had a lot of support and he had a lot of resources available to him there. And it's no doubt that, um, that through the church at Ephesus is how he got, um, these, the, the writing of the revelation out to the rest of the seven churches. Cause when you look at the seven churches that, that Jesus tells him to, to, uh, to write to, um, it was actually in that day and time, it was almost in a circle. And it was literally a postal route. It was a mail route. And Jesus actually gives John these churches that he wants him to write to, these letters to. And he gives them to them in order of the postal route of that day. So most likely what happens is is John writes it. It gets to Ephesus. And from Ephesus, it goes to the rest of the churches uh, through the disciples that John had there in Ephesus. So, Mike? Yeah, and I, I believe that that because John was the beloved disciple, people knew him. I believe mm-hmm. people were in contact with him to supply what he needed yeah. and all those different things. Quite often in prison, what you lived on and how you were clothed depended a lot on the friends that you had that would bring you things. And so it isn't like today where you go to jail and they give you everything, you're all your clothes and everything. In those days, it was much different. And if you didn't have anybody coming and bringing you food or clothes, you'd be cold and hungry. So it, it's, uh, I think, very important to understand that John was still part of the Christian loop, though he was exiled on that island. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't the soldiers there where the ships would come in, supply them with what they needed, all these different things. So I believe that it's just part of the, the system, the way it worked back then, Michelle. I hope that helps. Yeah, yes, it, it does very much. And, and in every letter, he, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And every letter was that was said. And um, we should be hearing that today. We, we should be reading all of this, what these letters are, because there's no perfect churches. No, and, and, and I believe, honestly, this is one of the reasons why many churches will not teach the entirety of God's Word, because much of what they're doing would have to cease. 
when you when you look at what the book of revelation says and especially to the seven churches how they once did things out of love like the church at ephesus the first church mentioned now they're doing out of obligation or duty he said i have this against you you've left your first love and so he says return and do the works at first in other words do it for the right reason it's so easy to get in and forget why we do what we do and then it becomes an anxiety rather than a blessing because, oh, I got to go do this. I got to go do that. Instead of, wow, God lets me go do this. What an important difference that it makes. Michelle, stay online. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs, okay? Okay. Thank you very much. God bless you for all you do. Happy Thanksgiving to you. God bless you. Let's go to Steve. Maui, Hawaii. Aloha. Uh, aloha, Pastor Mike. Hey, my question is this. As a born-again believer, my fellowship with Jesus, why do I still desire to have a woman in my life so much? Has God made you that way? You know, if you are, uh, if you've got the gift of celibacy, you don't have that desire. But I believe God would give us desires like that to fulfill them in his way. Now, there's a lot of different ways God does that. I believe you can meet somebody at church. I believe that you, um, you know, there's different Christian websites you can go to, different things like that. But really, I believe that, that if there's a desire to be married, I believe that this is something that I, I believe is not beyond the hand of God to do. Scott, your thoughts? I agree 100%, Mike. And that's important to understand is is that God made you that way, Steve. And uh, what's interesting is when, when you look at when God created the first man and woman, uh, you know, there's a reason he created Eve. There's a reason he created the woman for him. Uh, when God created man and he put him in the garden, he said, you know, it's not good that man should be alone. Um, man needs Number one, he needs a helper. <laughs> and yeah. we as men know that better than anybody. Uh, we, we, we need, need a helper. all the help we can get. Let me oh, tell boy. you something. <laughs> Do we ever? We need companionship. That's another reason why God created Eve for Adam. Um, and then, and, and then also, uh, you know, God created Eve so also so that together, uh, in their intimacy and their love for one another, they would perpetuate the human race. I mean, there was a lot of reasons why God made Eve, made Eve for Adam. And so what's interesting is this. When you read the Bible, you see this. The default in man is for man to be married. That, that's the default. That's how God made man. That's why when he made Adam, then he made Eve for him. And so that's just the way God has has wired us as men, as human beings, so the default for human beings as God has created us is, is to have companionship, is to have someone to love and to take care of, you know, to, to take care of and help take care of us and, and to, to enjoy life with. God has created us as relational beings and he's made us like that. We're, we're wired like that. And as Pastor Mike said, um, you know, there are very few and far in between people. Uh, but there are, there are some people that God gives the gift of celibacy where he says, Hey, I want you to give your life total, to, totally to me. And I want you to remain celibate. Uh, we do see that mentioned in first Corinthians chapter seven. Um, but also at the beginning of first Corinthians chapter seven, Paul's like, listen, 
If a man desires a woman, then let him go get him a wife so that he don't commit uh, sexual immorality. And again, that that is the default of of, of mankind as God has created us. So, uh, Steve, if you know if if you have that desire, uh, no matter what your age is, how old you are, you know, um, it's, it, unless God, as Mike said, God has given you that gift to stay single, you're always going to desire a wife. And so, uh, what I would do is I would be in constant prayer, and I would also uh, just just submit yourself to the Lord and be busy about doing what he wants you to do and what the Lord will do as you're busy about his business and about doing his will, he will then bring the right yeah. person into your environment where you are at. And, uh, he'll, he'll, you know, you don't, <laughs> you don't need to go fishing, you know, <laughs> you know, we have this uh, culture here in America, you know, this dating culture where everybody's going out and just hunting for, for spouses and, you know what? Uh, I think the Bible teaches us something different. I think the Bible teaches us that when we just focus on the Lord and and give ourselves completely to Him to please Him, uh, that He will then bring to us the person that He has for us and that He wants for us. So uh, we'll leave it at that. So, Mike. Yeah, Jesus said, "Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, mm-hmm. and all the other things will be added unto you." I I really believe that's important. I I do believe that we need to ask seek and knock um, to, you know, because you don't know what God, you know, boy, I think that person's really nice over there, but I'm not going to walk up and talk to him. I think we just need to be asking, seeking and knocking, but primarily being about our father's business. See, that's what's going to make the difference. Hope that helps. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brother Mike. God bless you, Steve. Stay aligned. Send you out some books, some DVDs I think you'll enjoy. And with that, we'll go to Ezekiel, Odessa, Texas. Hi, welcome. Hello. How you doing, brother? Good. How may we help? I got a question on First Peter. I think it was the angels that sinned against the Lord. What was their sin? I believe they united with Lucifer in his rebellion where a third of the stars uh, fell with Lucifer. Your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. And um, so I, th- I think what you're, you're you're getting to here are the angels that are reserved in judgment, in chains in judgment. Is that is that what you're talking about, Ezekiel? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. So that's and that's one view and one way to look at it, which is just the very simple, main, plain view. There are those who teach. Okay, and I'm I'm not saying that. That uh, we're saying that here, but there are some that teach that those angels, uh, you know, were the sons of God back in Genesis six, and because of what they did in leaving their domain and coming to Earth, um, that God has taken them and put them in that judgment. So there is that view that some people uh, take on that too. Um, but uh, you know, it's just a it's it's just a, a theory and just a, another interpretation of it. But um, you know, the Bible makes it very clear that Satan, when when he fell and and, and rebelled against God, um, that a third of the angels rebelled with him, and um, so therefore they were, uh, you know, uh, cast down from heaven. So, Mike. Yeah. So I I hope Ezekiel that helps. And and uh, again, some angels we we know in the entire angelic realm. There are warrior angels, there are messenger angels, there's protective angels. I believe the fierce ones are the ones that are chained up 
and uh, will be released in part during the tribulation period. Um, but we find others that I believe uh, are the ones that are looking around for somebody to move into. Um, we call demon possession. Uh, and so I hope that helps. I sure does. Thank you. God bless you. Stay on line. We'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs. And again, happy Thanksgiving to you and look forward to uh, seeing everybody in heaven, I believe, very soon. Let's go to Tim in Hawaii. Aloha. Aloha. My question is in Second um, Corinthians, it tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we're told during the time of the rapture that the dead in Christ will rise first. So if that is to receive a glorified body, what state are the believers that are in heaven now? What state are they in? Their spirit's gone to be with the Lord, very clearly. Their bodies, uh, you can go by any 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 cemetery and you'll see the headstones out there, and there's a decomposing body um, in those places. Um, I believe that when Paul is talking about that of the rapture, we get a glorified body at that time to rule and reign with Christ on this earth for a thousand years. Now, Paul says we're not exactly sure what we're going to be, but we know when we see him, we're going to be like him. And I believe that is what that's talking about. I believe no one who has died in faith today or before is lacking anything in heaven. But we know this world is a different place, and we know we're going to rule and reign with Christ on this earth for a thousand years. And I believe we're going to get a body like Jesus's that could eat, uh, could be touched, not a phantom, not a ghost, as he offered uh, Thomas to put the fingers in his holes in his hand and to thrust his hand into his side. Uh, and yet at the same time could vanish out of their sight as to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. So when we look at that, I, I believe that this body that we will get is very key in part of the millennial reign of Christ. I believe that's why we get it right before the millennial reign of Christ. And the dead in Christ, speaking of those I believe that are buried, um, are quickened. God's got the DNA to every person he ever put on this earth and gives them a glorified body. And then those that are alive and remain will be transformed, and then we're all caught up to be with him in the air. Our body that we're in now, if the rapture was to come today, for instance, this body has lots of issues. It was it was conceived in sin, the Bible says. Um, we have an old sin nature. We have a body under a curse, the, the curse of sin. But when we get our new body, it will not be, it will not age, it will not get sick, it will not break down. And it will have a lot more features than this one does. So I look forward to that body. In fact, the older I get, the more I look forward to it. But that's what the Bible talks about, that it's going to happen in the moment in a twinkling of an eye. Now, there's people that try to break that, what that twinkling means down in the Greek, but it's, it's, we're talking nanoseconds. It's immediate transformation. And the dead in Christ rise first, we're transformed, um, 
uh, they, uh, we catch up with them and we all go to heaven together and there we'll enjoy this new body, I believe forever. And again, a pretty neat thing. Your thoughts. Yeah, exactly. And that's important to understand, Tim, is that resurrected body that we're going to have. As Mike said, it's going to be just like Jesus body. John told, tells us that in first John three. But what's interesting is God always gives to us um the the body and the equipment that we need for the environment we're in like right now on this earth he has given us what paul in first corinthians 15 called a terrestrial body that that means a body that is fit to live on the on the planet earth presently now and then when it comes to the millennial reign and then Jesus creating is going to recreate everything and, and renew everything. And there's going to be a new heavens, new earth. Um, that new body that we're going to receive in the resurrection is going to be fit for everything that's in the future, eternal. Paul actually called it, he, he, he referred to it as a spiritual body. It's a physical body that will have flesh and bone. And in that body, we'll be able to eat. I mean, we'll be able to do physical things. But it will have a spiritual element to it um, and be able to live eternally where we can't now. But here is an interesting question. The scripture you quoted was from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it says to be absent from the body present with the Lord. Now, in between that time, so for a believer who dies, their body goes in the ground, their spirit and soul go to be with the Lord. What kind of form are we going to have in heaven between death? and the resurrection. And that we don't exactly know, but Paul does tell us in that same passage that you quoted, here's what Paul says. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, he says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, speaking of the human body, is destroyed, or when it's put to the ground, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So right there, Paul gives us the idea that when we leave this body in death and, and our spirit and soul go to be with the Lord, that there's some kind of form. There, there's something God has prepared for us in heaven to be in during, if you want to call it, I mean, if you want to call it an intermediate time between death and resurrection. Um, but then he goes on to say, for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habit- habitation, which is from above, uh, which is from heaven, If indeed, he says, having been clothed, we should not be found naked. So that's an interesting point because Paul actually says that before the actual resurrection, which happens at the rapture, and after we die, Paul says when when we go to be with the Lord in death, we're not going to be naked. We're going to be clothed with something. And uh, so he goes on to say, for we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for, for this very thing is God. So it's interesting that Paul does allude there a little bit uh, to a fact that we are going to have some kind of form in heaven. I, I don't believe that when we die, we're just going to be, um, you know, invisible spirits just floating around somewhere. Paul does give us the idea that we're going to have some kind of form. We're, we're not going to be naked. We're we're going to have some kind of uh, uh, you know semblance to us that we that we have here. But whatever whatever we're going to be like in heaven uh, before we're resurrected, it's going to be it's going to be a body or a form that will be fitted 
for that environment. So I hope that makes sense. Mike? Amen. Hope that hope that answers it for you, Tim. Yes. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Stay online. Send you out some books, some DVDs. I think you'll really enjoy. And with that, we'll go to Caleb, Missoula, Montana. Hi, welcome. Oh, so I have a question. Um, so if a person accepted, accepts a demon into their lives, can the demons inside the people hurt um, the people physically? Absolutely. We remember the man of Gadara. Jesus was going to cross the lake. And we remember that he comes to Gadara, and there was a demon-possessed man, and uh, the local townspeople would bind him with chains because he was hurting himself. He'd cut himself. He lived in the uh, uh, in the graves and in the tombstones, you know, I mean, in, in the cemetery. Uh, he was out of his mind. Um, and today you see people who are demon-possessed, and their lives are absolutely destroyed because of it. Is there a reason why you ask? No, I just wanted to just, just to ask. Yeah. Scott, your thoughts. Yeah. And, and in, in addition to that, also Acts chapter 19, which is very interesting. There, there was uh, these, these guys who are called the seven sons of Sceva. Uh, Sceva was a Jewish uh, chief priest. And it's interesting because what they tried to do is they tried to mimic Paul by casting demons out of a person. And in Acts 19, when they did that, when when they tried to use the name of Jesus, whom they had no relationship with, these weren't Christians, these were just the sons of a Jewish priest, um, when they tried to use the name of Jesus for their own benefit to cast out demons out of a man, here's here's what the Bible says. It says that the evil spirit, when whenever they tried to do this, said to them, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, but who are you? And then it says, then the man in whom the evil spirit was was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Wow. I mean, what is, I mean, how does that even happen? I have no idea. How does an evil spirit, because a spirit you can't see, a spirit is immaterial. But somehow this evil spirit that was in this man, when these guys tried, you know, to to cast him out um, when they had no authority to do so, this evil spirit jumped on these seven men and, for lack of better words, whooped them. I mean, just whooped them. And they were and, and their clothes were ripped off. They were naked, running out of the house and they were wounded. So these this evil spirit physically wounded these guys. So that's that's another uh, another text, just like Mike gave you a moment ago. Here's another text that shows us the same thing. And I think we have to remember this. I think we have to remember that demons do the work of the devil. Um, he is the prince of Satan. Is the is, Jesus called him the prince of the devils or the prince of the demons? And so we have to understand that that demons uh, do the bidding of the devil. And the Bible tells us, Jesus told us about Satan, about him being the thief, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he wants to do. That's his, that's his main game. And, um, and so it is with the demons as well. So yeah, they, they can, they can harm people, even physically. This man brought his son to Jesus and said, my son is, is possessed. He, he's a lunatic. He throws himself into the water and into the fire. 
And he says, I asked your disciples to cast out the demon. They couldn't. And so Jesus cast the demon out. The point being that demons never do human beings any good. The devil hates humans. And I hope that answers it for you. Dennis, uh, uh, stay in line. Or stay, Dennis will we'll, uh, put you on first, Brian, and Hope. Caleb, stay in line. Send you out some DVDs. God bless you all. Have a safe weekend. This ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station.